You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. One of the things that we're aware of is that every week we have friends that are coming here, uh, perhaps some of you that have not yet believed in Christ and are what we call spiritual investigators who are trying to figure out if God is legit and for real. And you know, uh, I know that as you think about your Christian friends, you think, some of you think, man, I don't want my Christian friends to try and convert me or proselytize me or, you know, change me, right? And others are a little more open-minded to it. And some of you are just saying, hey, look, I don't mind as long as you're just straight up about it. I mean, don't be try, try to be slick or, you know, work God into the conversations in these kind of deceptive ways to try and trick me into having a relationship with God. You know, one of the things I want to say to you right up front in this teaching today is that we want to convert people here at City Church. If you've not believed in Jesus Christ, we want you to believe in here. So is that upfront enough about the intent? And if you choose no, uh, we understand and um, still want to be friends and all of that. And I know some say, hey, if you're trying to convert people, isn't that kind of intolerant? If you're trying to proselytize people, I mean, you can have your viewpoints, but don't try and convert other people to it. Well, if you say that it's intolerant to try and convert people, you've already been converted. You've been converted to a philosophy called expressive individualism, and now you're trying to convert other people to the idea that it's wrong to convert people. And so why don't we just all get honest here and say that everyone, even atheists, are trying to convert other people to something. And one example of this is a guy named Guy Kawasaki who used to work for Apple Computer, and his job was to market the Macintosh computer. And you know what his title was? It was Chief Evangelist. And he popularized in the corporate sector people putting evangelist in their job title because it revealed this passion for his product and what he was trying to convert people to. And so some people are trying to convince others or uh, convert others to their political view, right? So there's the Democrats, Republicans, and Libertarians, and some are trying to convert people to be non-political. Others are trying to convert people to be PC versus Mac. Others are trying to convert people to their workout regiment, like the, the cult of CrossFit or yoga or Zumba. Um, others are trying to convert others to their Netflix show or their sports team, vegetarian versus beef eater, iPhone versus Android. Then there's your nutritional supplements or the multi-level marketing organization, or some people still trying to convert others to the idea that you shouldn't be converting others, you know? We're all doing it. And you know what? It's okay. So take a guilt pass for trying to convince and convert others to what you feel passionate about. There's nothing wrong with that. And I remember as a teen, the first time that I really tried to convert anyone to something that was important that would help their life. And I have to go back to my teen years, which was really not that long ago, just a few years ago that I was in a youth group. And I remember I was kind of a delinquent kid, and my uncle owned these bars, you know? And in these bars, he had these coin-operated machines, and so he gave me a foosball table from one of his bars. Now, young people, foosball is a game that we used to have where it was like table soccer, you know? And this was like a legit foosball table um, with, you know, the coin operation and everything. And I was the only one that had the key to it. And because I was the only one that had the key to it, it turned into my safe for my stash, you know what I'm saying? And so I would hide all my, my weed in there and my pipes and all the paraphernalia. Now, I can see the faces of some of you who are new. I can always spot you because you're like, what the... Did he just say that? The pastor was talking about when he used to smoke weed. That's how we roll around here, okay? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of a bad kid, and so my, my parents were going to send me away to this church camp, this Christian youth camp, to hopefully straighten me out. And I thought, here's how I'm going to make it through the camp. Here was my camp success plan. Weed, women, wedgies, the three W's. And so it was about, I was going to sneak out into the woods, and I was going to smoke some weed, and then I was going to try and meet girls, and then I was going to play pranks on the younger middle school kids who were on the camp as well and give them wedgies and do all kind of evil things to them, right? Um, But what happened was, is I get to this camp, and I was in one of the sessions, and God jacked with me. And God completely changed my heart. And I had this experience with him at this camp. And I wanted to go home and be a different person. But see, the foosball table represented all that was temptation. And it represented my past way of life. And I didn't want to be another one of the stories of someone that makes this big religious commitment at a church camp and then goes back home and lives the same way. And I was really afraid about the temptation that would await me in my foosball table. And when I got home, to my surprise, I find out that my parents had donated the foosball table to the Calvary Baptist Church. (laughs) And I've always thought about how uh, things went when the Baptist got into my foosball table and found all that was in there. You know what I mean? I can see the deacons, the Baptist deacons meeting, like uh, Pineapple Express, here, you know. <laughs> this is uh, what could happen there amongst the, the Baptists. But you know, the foosball table was gone, and so was that way of life for me. And then I went to the arcade, because I didn't have my foosball table at home. I, I would go to the arcade every day. Now, young people, arcade. This is a place where we used to go to play video games. We didn't have, like, Xbox consoles at our houses, you know, and uh, PlayStations and all that. So we went to a place, and they had these really great video games. Not this weak stuff, you know, like Call of Duty and, you know, uh, uh, what are the the games now, you know, like Humby still plays Pop Tropica. I mean, you know, uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, we, we didn't play all that kind of stuff. It was like Space Invaders. It was like Defender and Asteroids. Can I get a witness for Miss Pac-Man, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This was the golden age of video gaming. And all of us remember when God was in video games in those, those days. But I would go every day to the arcade. And when I did, I would have these spiritual conversations with my friends after we would get done with our games And for the first 30 days of getting home from that camp, not only did I not smoke weed, but at least one of my friends prayed to begin a relationship with Christ. And all these kids start coming to the youth group that we were involved with. And you know what happened to me? I thought about that. I thought, what happened to my life? I became what the Bible calls a witness. A witness. Let me show it to you in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my, say it with me, witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when you hear that word witnesses, I don't know 
what goes through your mind. You might be thinking about a courtroom scene where someone's a witness uh, in court. You may think about my friends in Cleveland who are LeBron James fans, you know, that are witnesses of the coming of uh, the supposed great LeBron who's going to get hammered by the Spurs this year. But that may be what you think. But the, what the Bible teaches of witnesses, that word witness in, in Acts 1.8 is a Greek word, martyrus, which means martyrs. So witnesses are those who are willing to lay down their lives to speak of the things of Jesus. And I believe from the scriptures that God, his eyes are searching this audience. His eyes are searching the earth for one woman or one man who will lay his or her life down to speak of the things of Jesus. And I think God is asking us the question, and you can answer it, can I get a witness Yes? Can I get a witness? Will you be a witness? And there's a Bible character that's one of the most powerful witnesses of all time, the Apostle Paul. And he's a fascinating person to me. He came from a very violent background. He was also one of the four most intelligent men of his day. And so when he gives us some advice about being a witness, I want to listen to it. Listen to his advice in his letter to the Colossians. Look at chapter 4, verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace. And what's that next word? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, we've all known those Christians that their conversations are filled with salt, seasoned with grace, right? They're a little too salty, a little hard to get along with, a little pushy and all that. But you know, some of us so much don't want to be that guy that our pendulum is swung to the other side of the emphasis. And we so don't want to be like bullhorn preacher guy that we never say anything about Jesus. And I wonder if Jesus wouldn't say to you and I who never say anything about him, if the salt loses its saltiness, then it's really not useful for anything but to be just thrown out and trampled by men, Jesus says. Therefore, today, I'd like to encourage you with this one idea, and it's simply this, to be a witness, spice up your conversations. If you'll answer yes to the call of God to be a witness, be willing to spice up your conversations. Now, a lot of people say, well, where am I supposed to have these conversations? Because most of my life, I've heard that you got to keep your religious conversations in the church building, right? Keep it in the four walls of the church. But Paul didn't buy into this keeping it in the church. He had his conversations outside and inside the church. Look at Acts chapter 17, verse 17. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogue, that is in the church, with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And I don't think Paul was talking about religion when he was supposed to be working, right? I mean, we don't want to be on the job and uh, preaching at people, you know, when we're supposed to be doing our job. But there are appropriate times where we're able to have conversations over the lunch hour or whatever with people we work with or people at our schools or in our communities where we can spice up conversations. And I was thinking about this for my own life because I'm a pastor and I spend a lot of time at the church Uh, But when I'm out, I need to be mindful of this. And I was at a coffee shop locally here, and I was waiting for someone for a meeting. And as I was waiting, there were a couple of people sitting in close proximity, and we started conversation. And one of the people there happened to be a college professor at a local school, and she asked me the question, Doug, well, what do you do for a living? 
And I never want to answer that question because when people find out you're a pastor, they get all weird on you and they think that you're going to get all weird on them. And so I don't typically like to spill the beans until I absolutely have to, you know what I mean? And so I ask people, what do you think I do for a living? And they never guess, pastor. I don't understand why they never guess, but <laughs> they just never guess that. And I finally had to tell uh, the, the, the people there, that, you know, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor. And so she was very curious about my view of spirituality and my view of God and all this type of thing. So we start talking about some experiences, and I explained to her how my son had been healed of this disease that he was supposed to have for the rest of his life. And um, I told her stories of how sometimes I experienced the presence of Christ with me in my heart when I'm with the poor and the broken and the hurting. And before I tell you the rest of the story about how our conversation went, I understand that a lot of Christians at this point want the conversation to go a certain way, right? There are some Christians that want that conversation to be this debate between me, the pastor, and the unchristian college professor where I beat her at a debate and I show her what's up and I win and she loses. But if you see being a witness as the other person losing and you winning an argument, you've missed the point of being a witness. Being a witness is about both of us having the opportunity to win, us communicating in love the truth of the things of God. And that's why I really like Gabe Lyons, who's an author, who said that young generations are the ultimate conversation generations. They want to discuss, debate, and question everything. Young outsiders want to have discussion, but they perceive Christians as unwilling to engage in genuine dialogue. They think of conversations as persuasion sessions in which the Christian downloads as many arguments as possible. Have you met that Christian before who just wants to download the arguments? I think we have to be willing to learn from other people in these types of spiritual conversations when we're spicing them up. And so as I continued the conversation with this particular college professor, I showed her in the early parts of the scripture where God had given human beings the responsibility to care for our environment. And we, since she's a biology professor, she taught me some things about climate change and the environment that were very helpful to my own personal learning. And so we were able to exchange ideas there uh, in the interaction. But if you're going to be a witness, you have to be willing to spice up conversations with people of very diverse worldviews and different cultures from your own. And this is what Paul did. He was a pastor, but he intentionally put himself right in the middle of Athens, surrounded by pagan worldviews. In fact, he would be able to look one direction. He could see a statue of Athena, the goddess of wisdom, and he would see Ares and perhaps a statue of Mars, the god of war, and Dionysius, who would be the god of wine and drunkenness. And so he was surrounded by these different worldviews. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I love City Church, because there are all different kinds of people here. I mean, I know some people here who are street people and others who are attorneys, doctors, teachers, soldiers, students, artists, nurses, and sales professionals. And some come from backgrounds of prison and uh, the Mexican mafia and drug and alcohol abuse. And um, some come from cults and the occult and Satanism backgrounds. And I know some people from really, really dark backgrounds like Baptist and Catholic, you know, uh, kind of. <laughs> Of backgrounds, you know? But one of the things that we do here is that we invite people who are very different to come and explore a relationship with God in our church. And one of the things that you've got to understand is that you're sitting next to people, all of you. 
are sitting next to people with very different worldviews than what you hold. And if you're going to speak the truths of the scripture to someone, even within our own church, you sometimes have to be able to communicate the truth of God, the love of God, and the gospel of Jesus Christ to communicate with two and sometimes three worldviews that conflict each other within the same person. And so it's kind of a daunting task, isn't it? So how did Paul go about doing this? Let's take a look uh, back at Acts chapter 17 and see how he did it in verses 22 through 28. It says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that uh, in, in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And in this next sentence, he's going to quote a poet. Look what he says. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You know who he's quoting there? Uh, is one poet named Epimenides who was referring to one of the Greek gods when he said, for in thee we live and move and have our being. And then he was also quoting Aratus, who was a poet from his hometown, who said the words, for we are truly his offspring, referring to Zeus. And so what Paul did was he took the words of a poet of his day who was talking about Zeus, and he spoke them and retranslated them to mean to people that we live and move and are the offspring of the living God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if Paul were standing here today and he was going to communicate to us who hold to all these different worldviews, you know what he might say? He might say, the force awakens, <laughs> right? The force awakens, and what he would mean by that is not some impersonal force out there like on Star Wars, but he would mean the force of the power of the Spirit of God is awakening the people of God to see what God is doing in the lives of people who are investigating spiritually and spicing up conversations to draw the children of God home. Or if he were going to speak on spiritual warfare, Paul might speak the words of the evil villain of Star Wars, the supreme leader Snoke, who said, there's been an awakening. Have you felt it? To illustrate how the spirits in the demonic realm see when the people of God awaken. They feel it. They can feel that their ground is about to be taken when the people of God move in love, in the flow of the Holy Spirit to spice up conversations and take people literally from the enemy's camp into the love of God. But when we spice up conversations, it's kind of like when we spice up our food, it makes us hungry. Some of you have not yet eaten your lunch today and you thought, well, we're gonna go eat lunch after church. And some of you have this particular dish that's a spicy dish that you love to have at the restaurant that you love. And now I bring it up, your mouth is starting to water because you're thinking about that particular enchilada that is so, so good. And it creates hunger in you. And so our conversations, as we spice them up, create spiritual hunger in the hearts of people. And I want to show you this in Acts 17, 32. Um, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. See? So when Paul's speaking of the resurrection of the dead, that Jesus Christ rose again from the dead, some people just thought, Paul, you're a nut job. But other people said, Paul, we would really like to hear more about this. 
And isn't that the case with you and I today? So if you change browsers back over to the story of my college professor friend in your mind, we continued to talk. We talked not only about the environment, but about uh, Zen Buddhism and Eastern religion and liberation theology. And you know, the, the way the conversation ended, I really wanted it to end with her praying to receive Christ right there in the coffee shop. But it's not one of those stories. But the story ended with her saying, hey, Doug, could I have your card? Because maybe we could talk about this again, and I have some colleagues that would really benefit from a church like yours. You see what I'm getting at here? Is that sometimes the purpose of our conversation is not that they would come to faith in Christ that day, but it's that their soul would feel a hunger for the things of God. And what you and I have to realize is that um, it's not on us to convert anyone. What's on us is to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leave the results to God because he's the one that's doing the work, isn't he? So when you and I don't create hunger in people's souls by spicing up conversations, the, the ramifications of that are kind of bad. Because if we don't spice up these conversations, people who have no hope and are struggling in addiction and wallowing in depression never receive the good news that they could be free of all of that. And most of all, people for whom Christ died, that Christ would love to be a part of his family, never do uh, get to know him and they spend an eternity apart from Christ. But you know where it starts in you and I is in our hearts. It starts with us caring. And there's a word I want to focus on today and it's the word burden. You know what a burden is? A burden is when you have a passion for other people. You care about other people so much that you're willing to put yourself out there and instigate spiritual conversation. And I want to show you Paul's burden in Romans chapter 9. Look at verses 2 and 3. He says, My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. You see what he's getting at there? Paul is saying, I'd go to hell if I could see my tribe, the people that I love, my Jewish friends come to faith in Jesus Christ and go to heaven. I'd be willing to go to hell for them. I would be without Christ for them. My burden for them is so passionate and significant. And to be straight with you, I don't think I have that passion for anyone right now. And so I'm asking God to fire up in my soul a burden and throughout this series, can I get a witness? I'm asking God to fire up all of our hearts to have a burden for the people in our city that he's drawing to himself. And when we have that burden, our conversations bring life. You know, they bring life. A few years ago, I was with some friends in the church down in Chihuahua, Mexico, and we were serving at the orphanage down there outside Chihuahua City. And one night, we decided to leave the mission house and go over to one of the parks in the city of Chihuahua. And we were walking through this beautiful park, and we came across a guy that looked kind of bummed out, and we just started up a conversation with him. And I was trying to speak through my interpreter, 
uh, Joe, who was alongside me, and he, you know, I don't habla mucho espanol, so Joe took over most of that conversation. He was doing a great job, and I would chime in every once in a while, but we started talking, and this guy started sharing with us his hurt and his pain. We end up over at this guy's apartment, and when we get there, the place was in shambles because he had basically given up on life, and um, he was hurting, and um, we talked with him, we prayed with him, and his story was one that ended up the way we wanted it, right? I mean, he ended up praying to begin a relationship with Christ, and he was so glad that we met up that night. What I'll never forget about that experience was when we left, he gave us a razor blade, and he explained to us that that's the very razor he was going to use to slit his wrist that night and take his own life. He said, I was going to kill myself until we've met. And he got hope. You know, that guy didn't plan to meet us. We didn't plan to meet him. And that's why being witnesses is something way outside of our control. Remember, we're just faithful to spice up a conversation and leave the results to God. And I know that most of this talk has been me focusing on equipping Christian believers to have spiritual conversations and spice up those conversations. But I need to talk to those of you that are our spiritual investigators for just a minute. Could it be that there are things in your life that are way outside your control? You think that you've been seeking after God to figure out if he's for real? Could it be that he's been seeking you out? And could it be that the circumstances of your life that are causing you to feel pain are really for the purpose of getting you to just look up to him and reach out to him? And some of you think as you reach out to him that you've strayed too far from God or that you're too bad and you could never come into the family of God. Hey, look, I want you to know you can't stray too far. God's arm is longer than anything you can imagine. In fact, there's one place in the Bible that says he can take our sins and throw them to the bottom of the ocean and we can't go fishing and get deep enough to grab those things back. There are other places in the Bible that says that we... Uh, uh, have a hard time even comprehending the height and depth and breadth of the love of Christ Jesus. And perhaps the problems in your life and the hurt and pain that you're going through are useful to the good father to bring you here into relationship with him. And he doesn't want you to just become like his minion, but he wants to adopt you as his child to be a part of his family. And you know, is there any reason why we shouldn't just stop everything right now and pray? and give you an opportunity to say yes to God and believe in Jesus and welcome him into your life. So with that in mind, how about we bow our heads and close our eyes right now. And as we do, maybe you just want to pray something like this if you're choosing to believe today. Just in your own heart and mind, you don't have to say it out loud even because God's so powerful he can even read your thoughts, but just say, to him, hey, look, God, I know I've totally jacked up my life. I've totally screwed it up, and I've sinned. But right now in these moments, the best I understand, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sin. And God, I welcome you into my life. And if you just prayed that just now and you'd like me to know about it, I'd really like to know. I'm going to open my eyes and I'm going to invite you to open your eyes if you'd like to, to, to look into my eyes and just to kind of indicate to me that you prayed to receive Christ just now. And so I'm looking over to my right, your left. Just peek up at me. Anybody? Good. 
yeah, I see a bunch of you guys. Thank you for trusting me with that. And now I'm kind of looking back at the back. Anybody back there? Yeah, a bunch of you guys back there. Thank you. And now I'm looking in the middle section here. Excellent. Yeah, a bunch of us. Yeah. Right now, I saw you right there in the middle. You know, um, can I tell you something as some of you are looking up at me? He loves you. You're his child now. Receive that good gift. You're his child, and he loves you so much. I'm looking over to my left, your right, the right-hand side of the theater. Anybody over here? Just peek up. Yeah, I see that little peek. Thank you for trusting me. With that, others back here? Yeah, good. Awesome. God, I'm so honored that you would let me in these precious moments of people's lives as you're drawing your children to yourself. And we just don't take that for granted here that these dear friends would come to faith in you right here just in this simple place. And God, lots of us who are Christians, we, we need to pray the witness prayer. Oh, we already know you. We already know we're going to go to heaven. But now it's time for us to get a burden. And so how many of us Christians would want to pray something like this? God, would you place a burden in my heart and get me to care and fill me with the Holy Spirit that I could be your witness? Sure, to Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth, but how about right in my own home, my own school, and my own workplace to start with? And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would put a person's face, a picture of a face in each of our minds, someone that we know we need to spice up a conversation with and invite them to you. And Father, at the end of this series, I hope that there are many people that have come to faith in Christ, not because of my sermons, but because people in this audience who have submitted to being witnesses and been faithful to lay down their lives in these spiritual conversations and I look forward to Easter baptisms that many of the faces that have come into the theaters of our minds would be baptized. Give us a picture of those friends being baptized on that day. We long for it and we look forward to it. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.